Um, it, Lent has been uh, almost 40 days. But if we're honest, it feels like we've been in Lent since about the end of 2019, <laughs> right? Um, it just felt like there's this darkness that just seems to gloom, not just over our lives personally, not just over our country, but over our world. It just kind of feels like we continue to continue to go downward, right? And when things seem like it's going upward, somewhere in the world we find a way to kind of tip it back down. Is it just me? No, right? It just continues to feel really strange. Um, as a preacher, as a young preacher, if I'm honest, I don't enjoy preaching in Lent. There are sermons you enjoy preaching, but in Lent, very few of the sermons are fun. Very few of them are things that you, you, you if I'm honest, as I prepared for this sermon this morning, um, we have a new addition, like a sunroom on the back of our house, and we've had some sun here, praise the Lord, uh, these past few days. And so on a nice, bright, sunny day this past week, I sat in that back room with the windows open. It was a nice breeze. And if I'm honest, I literally struggled viscerally to write this sermon in such a nice place. So I just wanted to prepare you that the sermon is difficult, it's been difficult, and it's not something that I necessarily desire to preach, but it was very clear to me as um, I asked the Lord what he wanted me to say, that it would be this. Today is Palm Sunday, as Rachel talked about, it's a Sunday where typically we would preach as an Anglican church, we would preach the, 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 the triumphant entry, as it's called, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the final time, and they put palms down and they, they proclaim, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, in the highest. But we're not going there today. We're actually going to preach from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 34, which is the prayer that Jesus prays in the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is crucified. And so we're going to come from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. And what I want us to hear from this sermon, if you don't hear anything else, is that Jesus models for us how to deal with sorrow. We will inevitably in this life deal with sorrow. If you're not dealing with it right now, you were just dealing with it a little while ago. And if you're not dealing with it right now, you're about to deal with it in some point in the future. That's the nature of this broken life. But Jesus models for us how to deal with sorrow. And so I'm going to read the scripture and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. Beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 
So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Lord, we, um, I come before you this morning feeling the sense of heaviness of the Nashville shootings, of the season of Lent, of your impending crucifixion and passion on our behalf. And Lord, as we sit under this weight this morning, I pray in your mercy that you would cause your word to sink deep into our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that your word would accomplish what you sent it to accomplish. That, Lord, through your word, you might save us this morning. I give you the honor, the glory, and the praise, because indeed you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, friends, um, last week, if you were here, Pastor Drew preached one of the most comforting sermons that I've heard in a very long time. And if you remember that sermon, it was on the death and the raising of Lazarus from John 11. And what you may assume was most comforting about that story and that sermon was the fact that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, right? That Jesus establishes that he is indeed the resurrection and the life to all of us who believe in him even as he told to Martha, and that one day he will indeed raise us all to eternal life if we believe. Now, this is incredibly encouraging, and it's extremely hopeful, and I'm grateful that it is the truth, but if I'm honest, this is not what was most comforting about the story or the sermon. The most comforting part of the story and from the sermon was from verse 35. Verse 35, the shortest verse in all of the 66 books of the Bible. Jesus wept. And friends, I'm not a masochist, right? I don't enjoy pain. I don't enjoy seeing others in pain. I don't like the fact that Jesus wept simply because I enjoy the idea of Jesus crying. What's comforting to me about the story and about verse 35, is that it tells me that I have a God who wrestled with the brokenness of this world just like I do. I have a God who was struck by the pain of loss, who was struck by the pain of a loved one gone too soon. And when he was struck by this pain, Jesus didn't buck it up and bear it and suck it up and move on. No, Jesus broke down and wept. What's comforting to me is that my Jesus, my almighty God, my triumphant Lord, knows the depths of my sorrow because he experienced them himself. 
In our passage this morning, we, we, we see Jesus again. He's burdened by his humanity. He's burdened by the brokenness of this world, wrestling with a destiny, a purpose, a call that at least in this moment he rather not experience. I don't know what's going on, but it feels like there's a trap door under my feet. It's like squeaking every time I move. I don't want that kind of sermon illustration. So just pray for the feet, the, the, the ground under my feet this morning. But Jesus knows that the time has come for him to assume his cross. Here's what's interesting. Jesus is fully aware of the pain that awaits him in his execution. And Matthew tells us that this awareness made him sorrowful and troubled. Another way to interpret what Matthew says is that Jesus was overcome, or in other words, is environed by grief. The very space that he inhabited was filled with grief. And it says that he himself was filled with anxiety. Friends, I'm comforted by knowing that Jesus here wrestled with sorrow and anxiety because I too wrestle. But what's more, I'm comforted by knowing that as I look at this model of Jesus, I learn how to wrestle with sorrow. In this story, we see Jesus modeling how we are to wrestle with sorrow and the difficulties in this life, and I want to share those things with you this morning. And so the context of the passage is that after the Passover meal, which is, the first, which is this is when Jesus institutes the first communion service, Jesus takes his disciples to this garden called Gethsemane. And the garden of Gethsemane, that word actually means oil press. Essentially, this garden was a part of an olive grove at the foothills of the Mount of Olives, and it's where they would press the oil out. Now, let me tell you something about the oil, the olive oil that was pressed over there. If you've ever been to the Middle East or you've ever been to, to any of those Mediterranean countries, as me and my brother and sister were talking about earlier, um, and if you ever had the olive oil over there, it is something altogether different than what we have here in the States. They call what we have here extra virgin olive oil, which is supposed to be the first press, but I'm pretty sure they're lying. Because the olive oil over there in Greece and Italy, that olive oil is so good that once you put it on a salad, you don't need any other dressing. It's fragrant. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It just tastes so much better. I apologize if you're tasting this now and, and you haven't been or, or won't, won't get to go, but it is, it is beautiful. And Jesus is at the foothills of this Mount of Olives, and he is in the place where they press the olives to get this sweet, beautiful fragrant oil from the olives in order to be used. Brothers and sisters, listen, it was hard to not preach an entire sermon on this one fast alone, but it's enough for us to say, brothers and sisters, that sometimes before God can use the sweet, beautiful things that he's put in you, he has to take you to the pressing place. Sometimes before God can draw from you the good things he's put in you, 
He has to take you to the pressing place. And can I just say something to you? Being pressed don't feel good. That's not where we're going this morning. That's free. That's free. This story is often titled The Prayer in Gethsemane, and that makes sense because what's at the core of the story is Jesus' prayer in this garden of the oil press. However, I think that when we meet this story, sometimes we miss one facet that I think is significant because we jump ahead to the prayer part. But the first thing that Jesus does in this story is not pray. There's something he does first that I think we miss. And that first thing that he does in this moment of his sorrow is that he gathers his friends. Verses 36 and 37 read, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over and pray. And he took with with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that being James and John. You see, brothers and sisters, in times of great distress and sorrow and anxiety, if you're anything like me, you're tempted to stay away from people so as to not burden them with your problems. When you feel the weakest and most vulnerable, sometimes the last thing you want to do is share those feelings with other people. And this goes for a lot of us, both male and female. But if you will allow me, brothers and sisters, if you love me and trust me enough, if you know that I am not a misogynist, amen, amen, I want to speak to just my brothers for a quick second. Because, friends, we're in a time culturally where the world seems to appreciate vulnerability and transparency more than ever, especially in men. Sensitivity and emotional health in men seems to be more attractive and laudable than ever. If I see another video on social media of a man enacting self-care, I would have seen one too many. But we understand that in this world they are calling us. Be more sensitive, be more transparent. But here is the thing, brothers and sisters, The culture, we tell men it's okay to cry until we actually see them cry, and then we wish we hadn't. What do brothers say this morning? We tell men we want to know that they have problems. We want to know that they have emotions until we share it, and then we go, wow, that's a lot. Again, do you guys believe I'm not misogynist? Please. I just wanted to talk to my brothers for a second. Because we do feel it. But if we're honest, and this goes for both men and women, even though folks say that they want transparency, what they really want from us is to suck it up and keep it moving. And this is why it's so important for us to have friends, brothers and sisters. I mean real friends, because the world is not going to wait around when we need a moment. And if we don't have community to take the moments we need, if we don't have community to hurt and to grieve, 
And just like so much of this culture, we are heading straight for ruin. Friends, we need real, true, close friends. And if you don't have them, pray for them. Seek them. Pray for them. We need them. And I've often wondered why Jesus chose the three men that he chose, James, John, and Peter, to be his closest friends of the disciples. And I'm sure there's a really deep theological reason for it, but um, that's not the one I have this morning. If it's okay with you, I want to use my sanctified imagination to make another guess. I think that Jesus chose these three because he knew somehow that these were the three men who could see him at his best transfigured on the mountain with the prophets Elijah and Moses and could also see him at his worst in the Garden of Gethsemane and still accept him as he was, both God and man, their Messiah and their friend. And I can't say this to be true for certain, but what I can say for certain, brothers and sisters, is that you and I definitely need friends like this. When stuff hits the fan, as it inevitably will, we need friends who we can gather to simply ask, please stay with me. We need friends who we can say, hey, stay with me as I hurt. Stay with me as I cry. Stay with me as I lose control and weep. I'm going to tell you a story, a personal story, a very deeply personal story this morning. And I want you to hear me and I want you to do your best to to, to do what I'm going to ask you. Do not pity me. Do not let the enemy take you to a place in your mind where all you hear is woe to Leon. Because hear me, we're all going to be in a place like this at some point. But I tell this story because it is an example of how much I need friends and I think how much we all need friends. In 2020, my world was rocked as many of our world was, but it wasn't just because of the pandemic. Adding to the nature of the pandemic shutting down the country, at about 3 a.m. in the morning, my wife went into premature labor with our first son, Gideon. We rushed to the hospital. Sure enough, she was in labor. Our son was born. When he was born, it was, pretty, it was a fairly traumatic situation. He wasn't breathing all that great, but, you know, he, he, he was going to be okay. We didn't know. It's just one of those really tough situations. At the same time, the world, the, the, the country had shut down. So we're in this hospital room. We don't know what's going on. We don't know if we're in the midst of the apocalypse. And here we are. Our son is born five weeks early, and he's not necessarily doing the greatest at this particular moment. They hook him up to so many wires, they take him upstairs to the NICU. He's in the NICU for 11 days. For those 11 days, we can't have family around us. My mom is not near me because she can't come around. She works at the hospital. We don't know what this COVID thing is. Her family's in Pennsylvania. We can't have church people come over because we don't know if they have the deadly COVID disease. We don't know what's going on. We're just alone. And we look to each other. We know we don't have the answers. The most cathartic and most healing moment of these 11 days was around somewhere around day eight and nine where I just couldn't take it anymore. And I called Pastor Drew. I didn't know who else to call. And I called him and I don't remember what he said. I don't know if he said a whole lot, but I called him. And I told him, I said, I just want my son. And I curled up in fetal position and wept. 
and I bawled like a little baby. And he didn't say anything. He just let me weep. Brothers and sisters, we need friends because at his lowest moment, Jesus needed friends. And so if you haven't gotten it yet, the first thing we need to learn from Jesus about dealing with sorrow is that we need some real friends. Well, then Jesus tells his disciples, he says, stay here for a little while. And he goes on a little ways to pray. And I want us to take note of how Jesus prays and what he prays. And the first thing in Jesus' prayer we notice is this, that Jesus prays for what he wants the Father to do. Now, depending on our theological tradition or our church tradition, right, some of us are fine with the idea of praying for what we want, maybe even to a fault. Others of us, however, feel like it's only right for us to pray for God's will to be done, right? Someone is sick, and instead of praying for the healing we want for them, we just pray, oh Lord, let your will be done. Our jobs are not going great, and our boss is being a jerk, and instead of praying for things to get better or or for a better job, we just pray that we could withstand the jerk boss and the terrible job. But this isn't what Jesus does. Jesus asks the Father for what he wants. And what Jesus wants at this particular moment is to not have to die on the cross. Is to not have to assume this terrible suffering. Is to not have to drink the cup of wrath that the God the Father has prepared for him. When Jesus says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus is saying, Lord. Father, if there is any other way for people to be saved, if there is any other way for my purpose to be fulfilled, let's do it that way. Because I don't want to do it this way. He prays specifically for what he wants his father to do. And I would suggest, brothers and sisters, when you and I come before the father in prayer, that we do the same thing. Pray big prayers. Pray crazy prayers. Pray for God to do the most miraculous and wonderful things that you can think of. And after you've prayed, brothers and sisters, pray again. After you've prayed, pray again. Because Jesus comes back to the disciples after praying the first time. He finds them sleeping, which is a whole nother sermon. But it's enough to say that when he finds them sleeping, it's problematic. But he wakes them up. He tells them to pray, and then he goes back and prays again. Often, brothers and sisters, we pray for something one time and we never look back on it again. We pray once and assume that whatever comes of that prayer is what God wanted for us. But we see from Jesus here and from the rest of the Council of Scripture that sometimes we got to pray for the same thing over and over again before we get an answer from God. And I think that we should keep praying the same thing over and over again until we are confident that we have received an answer from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have to pray 
We have to pray. We have to pray like everything we want and everything we need from God depends on it because here's the thing, it does. Pray. 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 And pray some more. But at some point, brothers and sisters, after we've prayed and prayed again, we've got to submit to the Father's will. And here's the cool thing about prayer, brothers and sisters. Prayer doesn't just move God to do what we want him to do. Prayer also moves God to reorient our person and our desires to his will. To start to desire and want what he ultimately wants. So that there are times when we pray for a thing and what happens to us is not that we receive what we want, but that our desires change to desire what God wants and what is ultimately better for us. You see, as Jesus prays over and over, his prayer goes from, please don't let this happen to me to your will be done. And what I think happened in Jesus is that every time he returned to prayer, the Father strengthened him more and more to accept what was greater than what he desired. I believe sincerely that when Jesus first knelt to pray, the salvation of humanity was not the most prevalent thought or desire in his heart. I think the most prevalent desire in his heart when he knelt to pray first was that he would not have to suffer. But after he prayed, I believe that nothing else mattered to him more than suffering for the salvation of his people. Prayer has this way of shaping us to align with God's wills and desires, even if at first they don't. So when Jesus arises from prayer for the last time, he rises with a renewed resolve to drink the cup of suffering that awaits him. Brothers and sisters, sorrow awaits all of us in some form or fashion. You can't get away. You're not getting away from it. If you're not experiencing sorrow now, you will at some point. And when we experience it, there are two things we need in order to get through. We need friends and we need to pray. And lastly, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that Jesus has overcome sorrow. We need to remember that Jesus has overcome sorrow. Jesus didn't only dread the cross and endure the cross. You see, on this Palm Sunday, we look ahead knowing that Easter is coming, and we know that on Easter, Jesus overcomes the cross. And through his overcoming, we have the hope that no matter how deep the sorrow now, we too will overcome. And our joy will be infinitely greater than our sorrow. Friends, if you're here this morning and you really don't know this hope, you heard us clap at the thought of Easter, and if you're honest, you don't know what's the big idea, what's the big deal, can I submit to you this morning that the reason we clap 
is because we know that our Lord Jesus Christ has overcome. It's because we are familiar with suffering, but know that through Christ, our future is bright as it can be. And if you want to know that this morning, it's very simple. It's a very simple thing you need to do. It's believe. Believe that when Jesus came to this earth, when he suffered and died on the cross and resurrected up to eternal life, he did all of that so that we can share in that eternal life with him. And all you have to do is believe. As we take the time this morning to take communion, his body in that cracker, his blood in this grape juice. That's the declaration we're making every Sunday. If you believe these things I've said to be true, please take of it as Pastor Drew instructs us this morning. But I also want to say if this morning you realize that, oh, I want this, oh, I need this. If you realize this morning that this Jesus that I've spoken about is for you. And if this morning you've determined that you've called out in faith to have that hope, to overcome the sorrow of this world, then can I invite you as well to take this with us? Receive it with us this morning, even for the first time, if that's you. Let's pray, friends. Dear God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the comfort that is Jesus.